Hi, everyone. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We are continuing our series on Acts of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to start by asking you a question. And the question is, is your life marked by a deep and pervasive joy? If you ask your friends and family, would they say that you're a joy-filled person? Would people describe you as a joyful person? And I'm guessing that you might find it hard to actually answer that question because you're probably not too sure if you have experienced joy or perhaps you're not too sure on how you might recognize if you are actually experiencing joy. And I think it's because we can easily mistaken pleasure for joy. And pleasure is not a bad thing. God is not anti-pleasure. God is the one who actually gave us the taste buds so that uh, we can enjoy food like bacon, coffee, a chocolate croissant. Uh, so that food is not just something that we consume for energy, but it's also something very pleasurable. But there is a difference between pleasure and joy. So what is joy? Well, pleasure can be said as something that can accompany joy, but it's much more circumstantial. It ebbs and flows depending on the occasion. Joy, on the other hand, is an abiding delight in someone or something. It's an abiding delight in someone or something. So let's just be honest for a moment. In our culture where our whole economy hinges on convincing you that you need various products or services to satisfy the deepest pleasures of your soul, it's easily easy for us to mistake in pleasure for joy. And so for the Christian who is on the path, on the highway, so to speak, of eternal joy, we can too far easily be provoked to take a rest stop for these temporary satisfaction. Because Jesus himself said that he has come to give life and life to the full. Jesus offers us a joy-filled life. And for us to be joy-filled followers of Jesus, well, we have to understand the distinction between pleasure and joy. But additionally, for us to be a people marked by a deep and pervasive joy in God, we also have to embrace our role in the pursuit of joy in God. Because we can actually make another error in our understanding of joy that can actually leave us very passive. For some of you, it might sound like this. Well, look, I don't feel like I'm very much a joyful person. You know, I'm just naturally moody. uh, Or maybe I'm melancholy. Or just, look, I'm a realist. Uh, So I guess I'm just going to have to wait for God to give me joy. God does grace us with joy, but he gives us the gift of joy through the means of grace in the life of the church. Another way to say it is joy is participatory. Joy involves our active participation. And that surfaces the big idea of today's text about the church in Antioch. And the big idea is this, if you are not participating in the community and the mission of God, well, you're missing out on joy. Why? Because joy is participatory. Why? Because participating in the community and mission is the way that we experience God. 
It's the means of grace. It's not that we find more joy in doing more things at church. Rather, it's our giving of ourselves to the community and mission of God. And through that, we get to experience God more. And the more we experience God, the more we will experience joy. And so that's what we'll see in Acts chapter 11. What we'll see is the church in Antioch. And that we'll learn that we experience more of God, we experience more joy when we actively pursue God's community and mission. We actively pursue joy in God's grace, joy in faithfulness, and joy in generosity. And the emphasis of the narrative in Acts so far is that the gospel is spreading, it's advancing to the Gentiles. After the death of Stephen, the story in Acts chapter 9 and 10 shows the gospel spreading and advancing into Samaria, which we've seen the last couple of weeks. In parallel, when we get to Acts chapter 11, it shows that the gospel is also spreading and advancing into Antioch, which is a large city in Syria. And Luke, the author, makes a big deal about the location of Antioch. Notice how Luke continues to remind us about where this story is taking place. So from verses 19 to 30, he mentions six times where we are at. So if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice verse 19, it says, Those scattered traveled as far as Antioch. Verse 20, some of them went to Antioch. Verse 22, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 25, Barnabas brought Saul to Antioch. Verse 26, disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And verse 27, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch is repeated so many times that when Jared did the Bible reading recording, he stuffed up pronouncing Antioch. And we had to actually ask him to repeat and record the Bible reading again because it was just too hard and difficult to edit out the six times that he stuffed up saying Antioch. So poor Jared had to redo the Bible reading. But the reason why Luke is hammering the point of Antioch is because Jesus had commissioned the apostles to take the the gospel to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, And to where? To the ends of the earth. And so how do the apostles take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Well, we get to the ends of the earth through the church in Antioch. So here's a map to see the spread of the gospel in Acts. The apostles and disciples start at Jerusalem, and they take the gospel to neighboring Judea and Samaria. And the disciples then reach Antioch, which is much further north, as you can see, and you can see how strategically it is placed. Antioch becomes the mission base to the other nations. And the rest of Acts records four different missionary journeys that Paul makes to take the gospel to the other nations. All four missionary journeys leave from Antioch. The church in Antioch is central to the gospel going out to the nations. And this is why we read in verse 26. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And this isn't a throwaway statement, but this text wants you to see that these people, these new followers of Jesus, are no longer defined by their ethnicity, 
or their position and status in society, they are now defined by Christ. And that has become their primary identity that relativizes all other social identities. These Christians are no longer bound by their geography. They're no longer bound by their cultural background, their national identity. These followers of Jesus needed a name that would be inclusive of anyone who put their faith in Jesus. Hence the name and identity of Christian, followers of Christ. And so the account of the church in Antioch is really an awe-inspiring moment, seeing Jesus' commission being fulfilled. And the church in Antioch is being established, and we read that a great number of people come to faith in Jesus in Antioch. And what do we see happen next? We see the active pursuit of joy in God's grace. Look with me in verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them or to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. What did Barnabas see? He saw the grace of God, and we read that he was glad. Other translations says he rejoiced, or he experienced joy. And it's worth noting that this same word that Luke uses in his gospel, when he describes when the angel says to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 about the birth of his son John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus, the angel says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at the birth for he will be great before the Lord. And it's also the same word that we see in Matthew's gospel when the three wise men saw the star outside of Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter two, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, and they worshipped him. And so what we see in Luke's gospel, where Zechariah is fully participating at the center of God's mission upon the birth of John the Baptist, who ushers in Jesus, he rejoices and experiences joy. Then later on, at the birth of Jesus, when the three wise men come, they are fully participating at the center of God's mission, exactly Uh, what God is doing in the universe at that point in time, they find themselves rejoicing with great joy. And this is the same kind of rejoicing and joy that continues at the birth of the church in Antioch. When Barnabas comes to these people, what does he do? He sees the grace of God amidst the church community and he's glad. He's joyful. Why? Because the church now is at the center of God's mission. The church is where God is actively at work today. The church is, you could say, the house where you can meet Jesus and bow down to worship Him. You see, if you're not fully participating in the community and mission of God, then you are missing out on joy because you're missing out on the chances to see the grace of God. And so I ask you, How about you? What are your eyes trained to see? Or what is your vision currently focused on? Maybe the reasons why you're not filled with joy, but filled with worry perhaps, or filled with negativity 
is because you're distant and disengaged from the community and the mission of God. You're distant and disengaged to see the wonderful evidences of God's grace in the community of God. So the way that we can actively pursue joy is to regularly stop, to take away, take our eyes away from what is most pressing or the thing that we feel is most urgent and lift our eyes up and beyond to see what God is doing around us and to celebrate God's work and evidences of God's grace and to enjoy Him. This is one way that we can participate in pursuing joy. The other way to pursue joy in God is to grow in faithfulness. Growing in faithfulness also produces joy. Look at what Barnabas says to the new Christians in Antioch. Let's look again at verse 23. When he arrived and saw the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Again, this is not a throwaway statement. Uh, he's not just mere words of encouragement. He's not saying, good on you for cu- coming into faith. Now continue to remain true, remain faithful to the Lord. This wasn't just pleasantries. No, Barnabas actually goes out of his way to encourage and to teach these Christians to be faithful. The story goes on to show that Barnabas leaves Antioch and he goes to Tarsus to find Saul, who is an exceptional Bible teacher, and he brings Saul back into Antioch and they spend a year teaching the church the Bible, building up the church with God's Word. See, Barnabas doesn't just simply tell the Christians to, hey, grow in faithfulness. You know, he goes out of his way to strengthen the church in faithfulness to God's word. And the text says, as a result of the church's faithfulness, more and more were added to the Lord, more evidences of God's grace to bring about greater joy because the church was growing in faithfulness. And so I want to ask the question to you again. Are you growing in faithfulness to the Lord? In addition to seeing the evidences of God's grace, are you also actively putting to use the means of God's grace, the means of Bible teaching, the means of prayer, the means of fellowship to grow in faithfulness and experience more joy? Maybe you're lacking joy is because maybe you haven't taken faithfulness seriously. You haven't really taken discipleship to Jesus seriously. Because faithfulness and discipleship to Jesus requires active commitment, active participation in growing in your knowledge and communion with God. And so the way that we can actively pursue joy is to be like the early church that we've been reading through Acts, to be devoted to the ministry of the Word, to be devoted to prayer, and to be devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. And devote is is a word that combines commitment and passion together. It's actively directing our wills and our hearts to find joy in the ministry of the word, prayer, and fellowship. The final way we can actively pursue joy is pursuing joy in generosity. 
Turn to verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Do you see what is happening here? The Syrian church in Antioch have been faithful to the Lord in the past year, and now they are giving themselves to financially help the church back in Jerusalem. Do you see what a beautiful picture of the unity of the church? The church in Antioch and the church in Jerusalem, they're united. And not only that, they are embracing the opportunity to give generously to one another. You see, if you're not fully participating in the unity and the generosity of the community and mission of God, you're probably missing out on joy because you're missing out on the opportunities to be generous. And you probably notice this reality that joyful people are generous people. And that is what makes Christian understanding of joy so beautiful. Because for the Christians, our joy is not rooted in what we have. Our joy is not rooted in what we can get, but our joy is rooted in what we can offer. Our joy is rooted in what we can give. And so the things that God give us, the things that God has entrusted us to steward, well, we can hold on to these things very lightly because those things are not the things that we get our sense of joy. Our sense of joy is founded in a God who gives generously. So I want to ask you another question. Are you being generous? Are you giving your self, your finances, your gifts? Are you giving your relational presence to the community and the mission of God? Maybe the reason that you're lacking joy in your life is that you have not experienced regularly the joy of giving. Is your life marked by giving or by consuming. The way that we can experience greater joy in our lives is to fight for our own joy by fully participating in giving to the community and the mission of God through our generosity. Do you now see that the church in Antioch, that when you fully participate in the community and mission of God, you are able to see the evidences of God's grace, you are able to grow in faithfulness, and you're able to embrace the opportunities to be generous. You see, our greatest joy as God's people comes when we experience God more as we are fully participating in the community and the mission of God. And we don't, I don't want to, for us to lose sight of this reality, that the mission of God finds strength when the people of God are marked by joy. This is really important. The mission of God finds strength when the people of God are marked by a deep and pervasive joy. Is there any basketball fans joining us today? Uh, hands up if anyone's watched, finished watching The Last Dance, uh, the documentary of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Well, if you watched The Last Dance, you would have been impressed 
by just how good the 1996 Chicago Bulls team was. They set a record of winning 72 games in one season. And the team was titled the best NBA team of all time. And as you watch this documentary, you probably were really taken back by just how fiercely competitive Michael Jordan was. There was just no fun and games for Jordan. It was all down to business, to be the best, no matter what the cost. But the thing is, the Bulls' record has since been broken by the Golden State Warriors. They won 73 games in the 2016 season. And so are they now the best NBA team of all time? There's big debates about this, but there is one really good article describing what really motivated the Golden State Warriors. And you will think it's fierce competition, competitiveness, just like the Chicago Bulls. But this is what Ethan Strauss wrote in the article for the ESPN. It says, joy? Sports aren't supposed to be about joy. They're supposed to be about proving yourself through grueling slog of self-sacrifice. That's why for years, sports pundits scoffed at football teams getting past happy and basketball teams falling in love with the three-pointer. Happiness is viewed with suspicion in a hyper-competitive world. But listen to what he says. He says, to the warriors, though, joy is a weapon, an essential aspect of winning. Their fun is your demise. Joy for them was a weapon. Chapel Hill, I want you to see that our joy matters. It's a weapon against evil. It's a weapon against darkness. Our joy is a light that shines into the darkness and the brokenness of our world. Our joy matters. Our joy in the Lord is something that we need to fight for. It needs to be something that we actively participate in because the world is watching. And there is a great opportunity to put on display the joy that flows out from the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you're joining us today as someone who is exploring or checking out Jesus, perhaps you might already know some joyful people. But to know joyful people who face illness and weaknesses, to know joyful people in the face of persecution, to experience knowing joyful people when suffering comes knocking on their doors, well, that is almost unexplainable. And the invitation for you is to journey with us, to walk with us, to have conversations with us in our homes, to eat meals with us and listen to our prayers. And I think what you'll find that a Christian's joy is unexplainable apart from the power of the gospel. Because Christians are united to Christ, who is always at the epicenter of God's community and mission. In the book of Hebrews, we read that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's currently seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, Jesus, in him we see ultimate joy. 
we see flawless faithfulness and we see unparalleled generosity. And that is the Jesus that we are united with by the Spirit. That is the Jesus that is constantly inviting us for more and more to more and more fully participate in His community and mission so that we would experience greater and greater joy. Please pray with me as we pray that we as a church community would actively fight for, pursue, participate in joy. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in Jesus, through the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he himself experienced eternal joy, everlasting life, eternal relationship with the Father. And by faith, through the Spirit, we are united to him to face the same joy. Father, we pray that we would actively pursue participating in God's community and mission so that we would be encouraged and find joy in the evidences of God's grace. And there's so much to be thankful for in the past six months of your grace upon our church to grow in faithfulness, to grow in generosity. Father, we ask that by your Spirit, you would help us to not disengage to not dislocate, but we would fully embrace your mission and your community and so that we would experience you more and more and find greater and greater joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.